Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be back. I know for some of you, you are coming back from holidays or from a sick season or from traveling, and this is your first time here for a while. Welcome. Just know this is my first time being back in a while as well. I've been on vacation for three weeks, uh, spent time with my family, spent time at home, but I still went to church, went to church on Sundays, different churches. Some churches were so encouraging to visit. Other churches made me really miss our church, and so I am glad to uh, be here. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that um, Q&R that we're having. Uh, there's a reason why we're doing it today, because uh, th- today and this upcoming series that we're doing, there might be some crazy stuff that we're going to say. And I, if you're more like that conservative church person who grew up in the church, you're like, what? Like, I want to talk to you. But if you're also someone who's new to the faith or you're just checking out Christianity, would love to talk to you. And even if you don't have any questions, you just want to hang out. Stay here, hang out, talk for 10 minutes, and we can head over to lunch together. But we'd love to get to know and meet those of you who are curious about Christianity, about what we're talking about. And speaking of which, again, we're, we're jumping into a new series. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to open the, word, the, the text first. And so if you're visiting, we have uh, the, the passage that we look at in our programs. If you prefer to use your Bibles, encourage that as well as your apps. Uh, but one thing we all do is um, when we read this together, we believe God is alive and he is speaking through his word. So can we all rise together as we read this passage from John chapter 5, verses 37 to 40. So if this is from the Gospel of John chapter 5, this is Jesus. He is speaking to the religious leaders. And this is what he says in verse 37. Jesus says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is the reading of God's word. Can we all pray together for a moment? Father, would you bless as we begin again, continue this new year. Bless our congregation. Bless us being back here at Buena Park. And bless the Lord this new year as we learn from you. Teach us, O oh God, by the power of your spirit. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for that. So today we are starting what feels like a new year still. I know last year was uh, the New Year's. We had a New Year's service. It still feels kind of new to me. Um, But one thing that's kind of unique at our church is we're also recognizing that it's not just a new year, but it's been one year since our church established itself as Grace Hill. I know you guys remember if you were here back in 2022 in January, we, uh, we were starting to regather post-COVID and we decided starting 2022 that uh, we are going to establish ourselves as a church and we call it All Things New. And so we had a new name, a new vision, new initiatives. And a lot happened this past year. Uh, on the screen, there's a couple of images where that seems like such a long time ago when we first put up like these signages and when we first welcomed everybody. We had a retreat. We had a, a children boom. All y'all had so many babies. It was wild, and we are still having a lot of babies, and it's just a really different church than I think it was this past year, but it's only been a year. It's been one year since all this has happened, and you know, again, the whole year was just about like regathering ourselves and having a rhythm and having a foundation and establishment, uh, but now that that kind of all took place where we have a new rhythm and we're kind of used to gathering here, um, one question that our staff, and I was talking to the pastoral staff also, is what kind of church do we want to build? What kind of community do we want to become? And one thing that we're all on the same page on is our mission is the same. The mission of our church is nothing different. We still want to be followers of Christ, 
in all of life, and we want to be passionate about that. That's the, that's the goal. Uh, I love the message Pastor Sam gave last week where it's not about just believing in Jesus, although we, believing is important, but the church is meant to help us to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow him? And that's one reason why we did that whole series about the practices of Jesus, is what does it actually look like to follow the way of Jesus? Now, this year, what we want to do is we want to focus and grab one of those practices. Let's do a deep dive into it. Let's really put that into our DNA. And what we're going to do this upcoming year is focus on the practice of Bible reading. I know, exciting stuff, right? Uh, Of all the practices we went through from the past year, uh, our community group, we were excited to talk about simplicity and silence and solitude, and even fasting was interesting. The Bible reading was kind of a challenging one. It's like, huh, it's a little bit tough. Um, But, you know, before we talk about why that's so challenging, we think this is something our church really needs, because if you don't know the Bible, it's going to be really hard to follow Jesus. Jesus says himself in John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, quote, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. It's how we follow Jesus when we know his voice. How can you follow him if you don't know what he's saying? And that's yet the problem for a lot of us is Bible reading, when we see something like this, this book, we respect it. We might even believe in this. It's good for us to even read, but if we're honest, we don't really read it. And it's not because we're too busy. It's not because it's hard, because we have a lot of, we do a lot of things that make that are busy, even though we're busy. Like a lot of you, you exercise, that takes up time, not just going to the gym, but to shower, to get ready, to stretch. And it's hard. A lot of you go golfing, a lot of you do rock climbing, a lot of you do things that take up time, and it's hard. We all do that. And yet, for a lot of us, Bible reading is really challenging. It's really, really hard, even though it's everywhere. 78% of America owns a Bible. There are over 2,000 Bible apps out there for you to download if you wanted to. There are 100 million people who've actually downloaded a Bible app, and yet 9% read the Bible regularly, even Christians. One author says it like this, quote, "Uh, We revere the Bible, but we don't read it. It is the best-selling, least-read book in America. That's what the Bible is. And it's not just a a statistic. I know in our church it it could be challenging. Um, It's hard. And again, not not because we're too busy, not because it's hard, but I think the real reason why we struggle reading this, even though a lot of us want to, is because we don't get much out of it. When you try reading it, see how it blesses you. It won't be easy. Because the Bible, it's dense. It's an ancient book different tradition, weird stories, weird things, weird style of writing. And because of that, if we're really honest, if we had a church Reddit thread after the sermon, you might be like, but it's boring. It's a boring text. And just know as a pastor, as a Christian who's, you know, read the Bible many times, I completely understand. I totally understand get it. I totally get why it's boring, and I totally get why the only time we hear anything about the Bible is on a Sunday. We're like, oh yeah, the Bible, because it's, it's hard. It's a hard text to grasp. But here's the dilemma that you fall into if you're in that camp. If you're like, yeah, I should read it, but it's really boring. The dilemma that we fall into is if this is so boring, why did it change, radically change the lives of so many people? Why do so many people say, but there's something beautiful and deep about this that I need it in my life? From Martin Luther King Jr. to William Wilberforce to Chance the Rapper 
to Jesus Christ himself. What is it about this that is really mesmerizing to certain people? Because there's something about this Bible, there's something about the scriptures that has the potential to shape your life far more than you think. Gandhi, he is not a Christian by any means, but he respects what the scripture says. It influenced a lot of the revolution, the nonviolent revolution that he initiated. He says this about Christians in the Bible, quote, you Christians, you look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, to turn the world upside down, and to bring peace to a battle-torn planet but you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. It's another option for you if you have time to read. And that's kind of where we're at. And so this year, what we want to do is at our church, we want to create a culture in our church where we are a community that reads its Bible. If you come to our church and people go, what kind of community is this? You're going to hear a lot of responses. People here are really nice. I promise you, if you come to our church for a while, you will walk away going, hmm, they're really nice here. We're, uh, we're really uh, engaging when it comes to like, hobbies. Like, we're really good at different hobbies and sports and so forth. Another beautiful thing about our church is when we want to do something new, like a new initiative, serve the city, people are down at our church. It's awesome. Like Our formation groups, so many people have signed up for it. It is awesome. But another thing that we hope to happen in our church is when you hear, like, hey, what's Grace Hill? What's, what's the community like? This is a community that tries to read their Bible. Like, they love the scriptures here. That is the goal. That is a hope. And not just because we love to read the Bible, but we want to hear God's voice. We want to follow Jesus. We want to know what it's like to follow him. And so just know this is not a one-off series. This is not a New Year's, like, so go read your Bibles. No, no, no. We're going to be talking about this a lot this year. Because, again, we want to create a culture in our church where we are following Jesus and we know we can't do that unless we're in the scriptures. And so our new sermon series, we're going to be spending five weeks looking at the Bible to talk about the Bible. Like, what is the Bible? Like, answering these different questions. Because when, when we're telling us, let's read this, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions about this. I know some of us, you've just kind of been trained as a child, like, just it's the word of God. But man, I'm, a, again, I'm an Enneagram 5 uh, I am an INFJ. I have questions. I'm not just going to read something and accept it and believe in it unless you answer my questions. And so we're going to talk about each week five different questions about this text. Number one is this. What is the Bible? Like, what is this thing? How would you answer that question? Secondly, why do we need the Bible? Like, why spend so much time every day in your life reading this? Third, can we trust the Bible? I am excited about this one. All you skeptics, all you people who look on the Reddit threads, this kind of discounting the Bible, like we're going to, let's go, let's go. Let's talk about that. Fourth, what is the purpose of the Bible? Like what's it supposed to do to you when you read it? And lastly, how do we read it? Like what does it look like to read it? And that's, and that's why after every service, and we have a Q&R, so if I say something really crazy, stick around. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it together. And I'm okay if it's just one of you. Let's have a one-on-one coffee without coffee. Let's do it. 
Um, and just know this isn't a lot, a lot of these questions and the answers, they're shaped by a couple of different voices. One is by Andrew Wilson, who wrote a great book about the Bible. Another is by Ray Lubeck, who wrote a great book about the Bible. Scott McKnight, he says some crazy stuff, but I love his book, The Blue Parakeet. He says some things. Tim Mackey, Bible Project, which we've been talking about a lot. John Mark Comer, who I love from The Way, he says a lot of good things. And of course, the Bible talks a lot about the Bible, and that'll be something we focus on. So today, though, today what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, what is the Bible? What is it? If you had a child and they picked this up in your coffee table going, what is this? What would you say? How would you describe what this book is? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Bible says, what Jesus says, how they would answer that question. And we're going to answer it in three ways. Number one, what the Bible is not. Number two, what the Bible is supposed to be. And number three, what the Bible is supposed to do. So what it's not, what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to do. So first, what the Bible is not. In John chapter 5, the text we just read, Jesus is doing ministry in Jerusalem, and on the Sabbath day, he heals somebody. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you'll know if Jesus does anything on the Sabbath, he's in trouble. Because there's a group of people who are just watching Jesus. They are the religious leaders. They are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they go, how can you do that on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to do any work, Jesus. You're a rabbi. Don't you know your Bible? What are you doing? And it's very fascinating Jesus responds to them in a long speech, but there are three things that are really fascinating on how he critiques them and what they're saying to him. Jesus says, hey, as you critique me, let me say something to you guys. You guys, you don't hear God. You don't see God. God's word does not abide in you. That's Jesus' response. Look at verses 37 and 38. And the father who sent me, Jesus is talking, he himself bore witness about me. His voice you, Pharisees, have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you don't have his word abiding in you. How could you critique me, Jesus is almost saying. Which is a very fascinating accusation with the Pharisees. If you know anything about first century Pharisees, there are many things, but one thing that is prominent is they study Torah. They study their scriptures. If you were a child in a Pharisee's home, and you were two years old, you know what they would do? They would pick you up, they'd get a Bible scroll, they put honey on it, and they make you lick it. Let the word of God be as sweet as honey to you. If you think PKs at our church have trauma, imagine Pharisee kids. Trauma, right? But there's a reason. They want you to enjoy God's word. At age four in a Pharisee's home, you begin to memorize the book of Leviticus. That was a normal curriculum for four-year-olds. As a 12-year-old, you would have memorized the book of Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, the Torah. That was just a normal thing for Pharisees. And when you became a teenager, the prophets and the Psalms, you start memorizing passages from those. These people, the Pharisees, they studied their scriptures. And Jesus, he doesn't deny that. In verse 39, look what he says. You search the scriptures. That word search is you study that thing. You are meticulous about it. And and yet, despite that, why does Jesus say, but the word of God, you don't get it. It does not abide in you. And the reason why is because you read it in a way that does not give you life. Look at verse 39 to 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is not the only time Jesus says this. He rebukes the Sadducees later and says something similar. Matthew 22 tells his other group, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. Even though these were religious leaders who read the Torah, you don't know God's power. In other words, 
Jesus is saying there is a way to read the scriptures that is not life-giving nor strengthening that gives you power. And it's not because of the scripture, but it's because of us. I remember one time our church, we used to play softball sometimes, and they're just going to softball practice, swinging the bats. And I do not play softball. But I'm not sure why they told me, you want to play? And they had me come, and it was just practice, just swinging the bats, trying to hit the ball. And I kept missing the pitches. And again, this is not a game. This is practice. They want you to hit it. So they're pitching it as slow as possible. I'm just like missing, missing. And at one point after I missed, I just look at the back going, what is going on? And I hear some brother in the back shout, it's not the bat. And that was his nice passive-aggressive way of saying that the problem is not the bat itself, but it's me. The way I was using it, I was just missing the ball because something was off with the way I was using this instrument. In a similar way, we struggle reading the Bible where it's not life-giving. It does not give us strength. It is boring. It is bland, but not because of the Bible, but the way we use it, the way we view it. What are some ways that today, as human beings, as modern people, as people who want to follow Jesus, how do we, some, for some of us, why is this so life-draining and not life-giving? Why does this feel like it takes up our time rather than strengthen our time? Let me propose a couple of reasons why. Some of us here, the reason why this, this is really boring is, I mentioned this before, you view this as a super holy book of facts. It's an encyclopedia. It's something that functions when you have a question about a specific topic, marriage, suffering, death, go to the table of index, what does it say? And here's the thing. I love Wikipedia. Have you guys, you guys remember the day you discovered Wikipedia? It was amazing. I just looked up articles after articles. I'm like, this is awesome. And I still love Wikipedia. If I have anyone asks me a question, it's just a nice summary of what the basic idea of that topic is. But if you told me, hey, Wikipedia, it's so awesome, you should read it every day. I'd be like, you know, Wikipedia is awesome. It's not that awesome. I do not need Wikipedia in my life every single day. I'll struggle because I only need it when I need it. It's boring to read every day. And yet that's how many of us experience the Bible. Yeah, it's nice. Oh, I respect it. But I don't need it every day because it's an encyclopedia. It's only when I have a question about something. That's how the Bible functions as. For others of us, the Bible, it's, uh, it's not life-giving because we see it as a book of quotes, inspiration, uplifting to us. A lot of you, or if you grew up in the church, you're really churchy, you're kind of taught that way because uh, there's a group or a, 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 I'm not sure what it is. Is it a club? Awana? You guys know what Awana is? It's, Awana is like some Bible thing where the kids come together and what do, you, what do you memorize? Not the Bible, verses in the Bible. You memorize Romans 8.28, you memorize John 3.16. So what happens? It's all these verses that are in your brain, and that's what the Bible now feels to you. A book of quotes that uplifts you. Monday you read maybe from Psalm 23, verse 1. Tuesday, Luke chapter 10, verse 15. It these verses that are there. And what's really kind of bizarre about that is nobody before us in this, in this time period read the Bible that way. You know those numbers that are in this Bible after every sentence? That wasn't there until the year 1551 AD. That means most followers of Jesus for 1,500 years after he died, they did not read their Bible with all these numbers there. 
but we have that, it makes us read and interpret the Bible a certain way. And the biggest problem with all that is when you have like these one verse a day type of plan in your life, it does not help you with the complexity of life. It's far too simple. It's very simplistic. Romans 8, 28 is a beautiful verse. It does not help you with the complexity of what you are going through. But if that's all you have, then that's what the Bible is to you. It's this shallow, inspirational thing that does not work. For some of us, the Bible, it's a book of law. It's meant to tell you what to do, to follow the rules, commands. This is how our parents taught us. I know for me, my family, we did family devotionals. And for some reason, we always just talked about the Ten Commandments every single time, especially honor your parents. And that was like the main thing. Like that's what the Bible was talking about. And some of us were really turned off to the Bible because of that. Like we don't want to read someone just lecture us. But some of us, we, we dig that. We're like, yeah, like tell me what to do because I don't know what to do with my life. And what happens is you run into a big problem when you view the Bible that way because if you start from uh, page one, you have to go through 60 chapters before you get to a command. It's 60 chapters before you get to the Torah where God actually tells us a command. What do you do with those 60 chapters? In fact, most of the Bible, it's not commands. It's only 15% are commands. So the book of the law stuff doesn't work. And here's uh, the last one, and this is most relevant to me, and this might be relevant to you if you've been a Christian for a long time. Some of you see the Bible as a system of theology, as a way to understand how God works. And the reason why we do that is because the Bible, it's really confusing. Like, what is it saying? It's too holy to understand because it's God's word. It's so holy, I can't touch it. And so what we do is we see this as a puzzle to resolve, and we need to find teachers. Tell me, Tim Keller, how do you read this? Tell me, Jackie Hill Perry, how do you read this? Tell me, uh, John Piper, how do I read this? And we realize that they have this whole system of, oh, this is Reformed theology, oh, this is Calvinism, and we study this thing, and we go, oh, now it makes sense. The Bible is about the sovereignty of God, and every passage is that way. And again, not to say that's bad, not to say that's wrong, but when you view the Bible that way, you take out the mystery of God. You take out the idea that God, does he have something to say to you now? It's just a puzzle to figure out. I know Romans 9, 9, chapter 9 to 11, it's about Calvinism. Really? You think that's what it's about? And when you do that, what ends up happening is the Bible becomes of no use to you when your marriage is falling apart, when, when the stocks are dropping and you're having a crisis in your life because Reformed theology has nothing to say about that. The Bible does. We turn it into a system that's boring, that's dry. And I know so many Bible nerds, they never read this anymore because that's all they saw it as, this puzzle to figure out. Now, maybe for some of you, some of those match the way you view the Bible. Maybe for others, that does not. But you know something is off with your view of the Bible if this does not give you life, if all the time you read it is just dry and boring. I'm not saying every day is going to be amazing, but if all it is is just this boring text, something is off because when the Bible talks about itself, the most famous section is Psalm 119. It's all about the Bible. It doesn't say, oh man, let's read the scriptures or hey, let's study the scriptures. The psalmist constantly repeats, I delight in the scriptures. I delight in God's word. Because that's what slowly happens when you are supposed to read God's word. It is life-giving. It gives us strength. And that's most evident in the life of Jesus. Jesus loved the scriptures. He constantly talks about the scriptures. They constantly strengthen him. And that leads to the question, well, how do we get there? How do we move from just respecting this and believing in it to experiencing it in a way where we actually have power? 
and it gives us life. That leads to the question, what is the Bible supposed to be? So what is the Bible? How do we answer that question? Um, There's many ways you can answer it, but here is, uh, I found an answer that I thought was really helpful, where it's very simple and yet thorough. And here, and we're going to break it down. The Bible in one slide is this. The Bible is a divine and human library of books that tell one unified story, which leads to Jesus. And it's really important that you have all of that. And if we grasp what that's what the Bible is, the potential for it to give us life is far greater. Let me break, up, break down what I mean by this phrase. So first, the Bible, it is a divine and human book. This is really important to understand because if you only see it as human or you only see it as divine, you run into problems. If you only see it as human, which a lot of liberals do, what ends up happening is you think the Bible is composed by smart men who really care about this stuff, but, you know, there's a little bit of mythology there. There's a couple of mistakes. It's more inspirational. It's like wisdom like Plato, and we should read it, but it's like the Iliad. It's like Plato. It's like Socrates. Read it whenever you need to read it. There's no power in that. There's no reason to read it all the time. Just be familiar enough where you get wisdom from it, and that's it. And that's what happens when you see this as only human. Now, on the other side, if you're more on the conservative side, like you grew up in a super conservative church, it's like, no, no, it's not human. It's God's word. God wrote this Bible. This is, uh, if that's your view, uh, you run into a lot of problems too. Uh, Tim Mackey, he calls this the golden tablet view, where if you go, okay, so this is God's word. So when Moses wrote the Bible, we all have imagined like Moses got into a trance and God's like, write this. He's like, I will write this. And he's just like writing, hearing what God's saying. Paul, he's writing. And that's our view because this is God's word. God's speaking it. And when, when you view it that way, the Bible becomes really intimidating because this is God talking. And you don't want to mess up what God's saying. So you just kind of put it there and you wait for the, 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 the Kellers and the Bible commentary to help you because you're really scared. And the problem is that that's, it doesn't work that way. You, you can't do that. The way the Bible describes itself is it is very much divine, but very human. It's like the deity of Jesus. If you only say he's human, problems. If you only say he's God, problems. You must hold those in tension. And you see it throughout the scriptures. For example, 2 Timothy 3.16. All the conservatives, you know this verse. All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching. You see that? Breathed out by God. It is inspired Yes. And yet, look at 1 Corinthians 1.16. This is Paul writing. I did baptize the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. What the? Like, what? God said that? God forgot who Paul baptized? That's weird. And, and you conservatives, you don't know what to do with that verse. Here's another verse. 2 Thessalonians uh, 3.17. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. You know who's writing this? It's me. It's Paul. And in 1 Corinthians 7, look what Paul says. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Well, what's going on? What's happening here? Tension. There is tension. If a musician is playing the trumpet and music comes out and you ask who is producing the music, the musician or the trumpet, you know what the answer is? Yes. It is both. And you must hold that in tension. Because when God speaks through the authors, he is not erasing their personality. He is using it to communicate what is going on at this time, in this place, to this people. 
You can see it even today. Not saying we're biblical authors, but you know, me and uh, Pastor Sam, we preach the Bible to you guys. And it's not like we preach the same, even though we went to the same seminary. It's pretty different. And it's because we're different. Sam is a PK. He's a pastor's kid. He preaches because he, he almost preaches in a way where he knows what it's like to really believe in God. I grew up as a non-Christian. So I preach in a way where I know what it's like not to believe in God, which I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I know what it's like not to believe. Sam, he grew up in Sunny Hills, Asian. There's Asians everywhere. He doesn't know how Asian he is. Be very Asian. I grew up in Glendora, no Asians. Very white, very non-Asian. Sam in high school was the ASB president. I was not the ASB president. Sam, he worked for Wang Fu. Super cool. That's the first thing he did after college. I was an educator, a high school teacher. How lame is that compared to what Sam went through? Sam, when he preaches, inspirational. Ah, me, informational. You will be smarter after you hear my message, right? And again, it's different. Because God uses different personalities to communicate who he is to a specific people. And when you see the Bible that way, it just makes so much sense. The Gospel of Luke, Luke, he writes in a way, he's a historian. He's a doctor. He researches. He's meticulous. The Gospel of Mark, dude, Mark, he has ADHD. He is just like immediately, immediately, immediately going fast, 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 fast all the time. It's really different. Why? Because God is speaking through them. Peter, he's a fisherman. Very simple. The Apostle Paul, he's a theologian, very complex. Ezekiel, he's weird. He is a weirdo, and God used a weirdo to communicate. And when you see it that way, it's all over the Bible. There's no embarrassment to that. You appreciate each book. You see how they complement each other. It is fascinating hearing these different voices that are being used to talk about this one thing that's going on in the scriptures. Very fascinating. And if you don't view it that way, you're just like, Bible, God, wrote, God wrote the Bible. You are one religious class from deconstructing your faith because there are so many problems with that view when you, don't deny, when you deny the humanity what the Bible is saying. The Bible is both divine and human. Secondly, though, the Bible is also a library of books. We call this the Bible, even though the greatest irony is the Bible never calls itself the Bible. It never calls itself that. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is a Latin word for Biblia, which means book. And so when we see the Bible, we see, and it, it makes sense. Like it's one, you know, one text. We, we hold our Bibles. It's on an app. Uh, and that's what's really fascinating is that Jesus, when he talks about the Bible, he never calls it the Bible. He always calls it something else. Matthew five sixteen. look what Jesus says. Do not think I've come to abolish, not the Bible, but the law of the prophets. Luke 24, verse 44, these are my words that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. The reason why Jesus talks that way is that in the first century, you would never get a book like this. If you said, I want to read the Bible, they pull out this whole library and like scrolls everywhere, like which one? Isaiah, okay, let me pull out that scroll. That's how it was back in the day. That's how the Bible functioned. It is a library of books. That's why when somebody asked me, hey, as a pastor, do you take the Bible literally? What I would respond by saying, depends which book you're talking about. Which book are we saying? Are you talking about the Psalms? No, I don't take that literally. Matthew, I do. Genesis 2, I do. Genesis 1, I don't. What are we talking about here? If you don't have that, you're going to run into a lot of problems when you read this. 
I remember one time I was talking to a friend. It was Sam again, Sam Bay. So I was talking to him. And I was asking him, hey, man, like, do you have any movie suggestions? My wife and I, we want to watch a movie. He was like, oh, you know, there's a really good movie called Oculus that you should watch. I'm like, Oculus? What kind of movie is that? He's like, dude, it's really fun. Like, you, you're, Lena would love it. I'm like, awesome. So I told Lena, my wife, hey, let's watch Oculus. I heard it's really fun. So I'm expecting this fun movie. And all of a sudden, the movie starts, and there's, like, this dark, ominous, like, title. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, why is it like that? And then a pop-up scare happens. I'm like, what's going on? And throughout the whole movie, it was one of the scariest movies I ever saw in my life. And that just messed me up. And the reason why it messed me up, because I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be this fun, maybe rom-com type of thing. But Sam's like, no, 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 it's it's actually, he tricked me. He totally catfished me. It was a scary thing that just messed me up. And that's the importance of knowing what you're watching, what you're approaching. It makes you anticipate different things. Same thing with the Bible. If you see this as just one single thing, you're onto big problems. You cannot read Romans the same as Revelation. You, all the, you get, we get mixed up because of that. Because we see it as a book when in reality it is a library of books with different authors, different genres, different times. And so that begs the question, so why on earth are these all together? And that leads to the third point, which is the Bible, it tells one unified story. There are many genres in this book, but if you to break it down in the most simplest ways, this is how you break it down. 20, about 23% of the Bible is discourse, meaning all the epistles, all the commands, all the things that tell you what to do. It's less than a quarter of the Bible. The next section is poetry. 33% of the Bible is poetry, where it's poetic. The, by far the biggest is narrative stories, 44%. And the poetry books, there's usually just poetic versions of the stories. That means three-fourths of the Bible, it's a story. Why? Because the Bible is a story. It's meant to tell one unified story. If you read it, just read it. It opens like a story. Genesis 1, in the beginning. Revelation 21, I will come back soon. That's a story. That's how we're supposed to read it. And the problem, though, is when you don't understand that this is a story, you get really lost if you try to read it. My wife, every evening, I shouldn't say this, but most evenings, most evenings, some evenings, she will watch Korean dramas all the time. And when she watches it, I know the, the one thing she does not like is when I sit down and watch it with her. I know she doesn't like it. And the reason why is because I'll sit down, it's the middle of an episode, she already started in the middle of the season, and I'll just like say things about it that are just like really annoying. Like, what's going on here? Why, why did he do that? That's so weird. I wouldn't do that. Are you serious? Like that, just get out of that relationship, bro. Like I talk like that. And she gets so frustrated where she's like, oh, stop talking. Get out. You don't know the story. You don't know what's going on. Because she's right. It's the middle of episode three. I watch five minutes. I just bash it. And then I walk away. And that's what happens. Very annoying. But, you know, sometimes my wife will go out because she goes to the bathroom and she pauses it. So I'll go on TV and I'll just watch you know, what's on TV. And then she'll come back and there's a movie playing that I love. And she'll be like, Hey, let's go back to Netflix. No, 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 wait. Let's watch this scene. It's the Matrix. This is the best part. And they're fighting and so forth. And it's really weird. Like, it's a random movie clip. It's five minutes long. We're in the middle of it. And yet, I love it. Why? I know the story. I understand what the scene, the context of the scene is. It makes it that much more enjoyable. And that's the problem with a lot of us with the Bible. 
They are random scenes of a Korean drama that we are watching and we have no idea what's going on. We don't know what's happening. So it's really boring. But for people who know the story, when you read the Bible, you go, oh, this is the part. Fascinating. And this is what gets us a lot in trouble when we read the Bible. Tim Keller, he says it like this, quote, the reason for our confusion over the Bible is that we usually read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. It is not. Rather, it comprises of a single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition and how God, through Jesus Christ, has come and will come to put things right. And that leads to the last point, what the Bible is. The Bible is not just a story. It's a story that leads to Jesus. Jesus tells us that the Bible, it's not just any story, but it's a story about him. John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they bear witness about me. What Jesus is basically saying is two things. First is this, you cannot know the Bible without Jesus. It's a big problem with a lot of Christians. So a lot of Christians, they read their Bibles, they study their Bibles, and they just know the Bible, and yet they are the meanest people you ever meet. They are so narrow. They just jack you and pound you with verses, and you don't feel good at all because when they read their Bibles, it has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus is patient, kind, gentle. And when you walk away from the Bible being the opposite of that, you miss the entire point of the Bible. The Bi- you cannot know the Bible without Jesus, but conversely, you cannot know Jesus without the Bible, which is a bigger problem, I think, for a lot of us here. I used this illustration before, but I'm going to say it again. Imagine if I said I love Star Wars, which I do. And you guys hear me if you've been at this church a lot. I talk about Star Wars all the time, like Star Wars, Mandalorians coming out in March. Are you guys excited? Let's watch it. If I post on social media, and you know, I just, you know, Star Wars is my thing. Now imagine if you talk to me, and I, I have a confession. I've never seen Star Wars. Never seen a single movie. Never a single episode. I've never seen The Mandalorian. I don't, I don't know nothing. Wouldn't that be really confusing? Like, then why are you talking about Star Wars so much? Why do you say you like it? And there might be a host of different reasons like that, but it'd be really weird. And my passion for Star Wars is probably really shallow. That's like a lot of us here. I love Jesus. Yeah, I worship Jesus. Yeah, he's my God. Oh, but I never read the Bible. I don't know his story, but I love him. It's really weird. It's a very shallow faith, which is not surprising when things shake about us, we drop Jesus really quickly because we don't really know him because our love for him is not that deep. I know personally for me, I've been going through this transformation with the Bible where, man, it's so interesting, fascinating. I was, when I was a kid, I saw the Bible as this holy thing where I was like, you read the Bible? Whoa. Like, it was really like this holy, intimidating thing for me as a child. When I went to high school and college, I remember I had a lot of questions. Again, Enneagram 5, I'm just like, this thing is weird. You believe this really happened? I had like questions. Like, I was skeptical about this thing because I'm not going to dedicate my life to something that I don't understand or believe. Later on, when I became a Christian, I start, it was like post-college, I started reading the Bible like on Wikipedia. I was like, this is fascinating, just researching different stuff. Lasted about two years, and I was like, ah, okay, whatever. Seminary, though. Went to seminary, ooh, the Bible became a nice, interesting system. Where I was like, hmm, what, does, what are the theories of revolution? Oh, what did Paul, was he thinking about dispensationalist or covenant theology? And I had all these different theories about the Bible, and to be honest, even though I read it, I taught on it, I preached on it, 
very dry, very wooden. Did I really hear God? No, I studied God, but did I really hear him? This past year has been a fascinating year where I've really fallen in love with this again. I'm like, this book is fascinating. I've never been more interested in the Bible because I'm seeing that this book, I come from a conservative background. Yes, it's the word of God, but very human. And Mark, he's interesting compared to Luke. Man, Ezekiel, again, he's a weirdo. I just want to read these guys. I'm really curious about each book. The genres are so different. But most especially, the story. The story is so fascinating, which leads to the last point. What is the Bible supposed to do? Here's a question. Why is the Bible, of all the genres, why is it like a story? You know, it it could have been composed like any Christian book, like there's chapter one, God, chapter two, Jesus, chapter three, humanity, chapter four, church. Like it could have done that. But for some reason, the Bible writes up like in the beginning. It's a story. Why does, he, why does God do that? Why not like the Quran or like the Book of Mormon where it's like these sayings or these laws? And one reason why people argue is that it's because humanity, our brains, we are hardwired for stories. Nothing helps you make sense of life more than a story. If I met one of you at, a, at the Q&R and you're really weird, my main thought is, tell me your story, man. How did you get that way? <laughs> like, I'm really curious because I'm trying to make sense of you. Like, stories helps us make sense of things. Ray Lubick, an author, he says it like this, quote, through stories, we learn how to see patterns, how to understand people, and the way that nature and things work. We discover the consequences of people's behaviors, we distinguish right from wrong, and we grasp the important things in life. Stories do not merely tell us about life. Stories are the essential means for us to experience life. And that's why so many of us, we are stuck in life. You know why you're stuck? It's not because of what's happening in your life. It's the story you tell yourself because of what's happening. When you are single for a long time, or you can't have kids for a long time, or you are in a struggling marriage for a long time, what do you tell yourself? It's not that that's jacking you. It's, well, I guess I'm going to be lonely. I guess this is my life. I'm just going to be alone. Some of you, when your career is not panning out, it's not the failed career. It's not the rejection that's jacking you. It's the story. Well, I guess I'm not going to be anything. I guess all my peers, they're going to surpass me my whole life. That's what jacks you up. Because we make sense of things as a story. And when your story is this messed up, sad story, that's what brings you down. Because we are story-driven creatures. Ivan Illich, he is a Croatian philosopher. He witnessed decades of revolutions that took place in South America. He he saw like governments being overturned because all these revolutions started taking place. And so he was asked a question in an interview, what's the best way to overthrow a government? Is it through violent revolution or is it through slow, gradual change? And this is how Ivan responded. Neither. If you want a society to change, you must tell an alternate story. You have to believe in something different. And this is what the Bible has the potential to do for you. It tears down the empires and the ideologies and the stories that you believe, that you feel stuck in, that you, brings you down, that you feel like this is your life. And it tells you a different story, that that is not what your life is about. 
Your story is bigger than that childhood of seven years of trauma that you can't get over. Your story is bigger than those four years of college that you felt like were super rough. Your story is even bigger than the marriage that you were planting or the family that you were starting or the family that you cannot start. Your story is far greater than that. The story of your life is actually found in Jesus. Jesus wants you to come to him because he is redeeming all things. And through him, he's inviting you to this new story that's still playing out right now. And so the question is, how do we do this? How can this story become our story? And it's very simple. Just read this and let it mess with you. Let this thing mess up your story, mess up your ideologies. Let it make you hopeful, you cynics. Let it make you more cynical, you naive. Let this story mess you up. Because it is meant to be a story. Not just facts, not just commands, but this alternative story. And this is not going to be automatic, but keep reading it, keep doing it little by little, and you will see a revolution slowly happen in your heart, like Ivan says. Because it's stories that change us. And so to conclude, what do we do now? Most messages, it's like, now go, read your Bible. Um, That's valid, but at our church, we want to do something a little bit different. This year, we don't want to just read our Bible. We want to help you to dig into the story. And so can I just really briefly tell us how we want to do this as a church? First is this. If you are, man, I want, okay, I want to read this, but how do I do it? Here's very simple for everybody. There's an app called Read Scripture. Just download that. It's awesome. It lays out read the whole Bible in one year as a story. It's amazing. I use that app. You, it's like two, two, three chapters a day. It's awesome. That's the Bible app that's there. That's, that's for everybody. It's free. You don't have to, you don't have to pay anything. Uh, but here's another thing. If you want to join our church, though, what our church is going to do is we're going to read the Bible Star Wars style. And what I mean by Star Wars style is episode 456, i.e. New Testament. We're going to go through the New Testament together, and we're going to do a, a Bible reading plan. And you could download it on our website. It's, even on, our, it's on our link tree. You could do it right now. It's on the, if you just go on link tree, it's Bible reading plan. And this is what it looks like. Let's go to the next slide. Just every day, you have a different scripture passage to read. We want to read the New Testament, starting in Matthew. We want to read a psalm, one psalm a day. And then if you notice on the right, there's a, a, a video that's there that I'll explain in a little bit. But we're going to read it, and it's a way to kind of just put us on schedule. If you miss a day, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, if you don't like the everyday thing, there's a different plan that shows you a month. Just read this in this month. It's whatever you want to do. But it's something that we want to make as simple and accessible to our church. Next slide. For some of you who are a little more like, I want to know the schedule. The next slide, we have an Excel sheet that's there. You could download it. Just check it. That's something that we want to do, that we go, hey, just do this and use it. Use it as a group. Use it for yourself. And then lastly, again, this is the Bible app that you can use for yourself as well. And we, each, each, uh, every book that you read, again, we don't want to just read it, but we want to understand the story. So if you go to the next slide, um, we have uh, videos, and this is how it works. On the actual R plan itself, if you could look at it, you just click on the right, just tap it, and a video will show up. And the video is like five minutes. And so this is what Romans is about. This is what First Corinthians is about. This is what we want to do for our church to help us read. And again, for all of us who are in formation groups, that's what formation groups are for, is to do this together, to read about it, to talk about the story. And again, for our church, we don't care how you read it, we just want us to read it. Because we know that this story it is a story that we need, and I've, I'm doing it myself. It literally takes 10 to 15 minutes a day, max. We can do it. You can do it. You can really do it. It's literally 10 minutes each day. 
a little time every day for a life formation of your heart, for a story to be shaped by something different than what you're telling yourself, what the culture's telling you, you're invited to hear Jesus' story. And so as I invite the praise team up, can I just invite us to take a moment to pause? Because um, uh, the scripture reading plan, it's, it actually begins not this, it's not like, you know, it's read now. It's literally two weeks later. You got two weeks to kind of like just get ready and prime our hearts because we don't want to just read the Bible for sake of reading it. We want to get close to Jesus and we, want to, we are offered resources of how. But before we do that, let's get our hearts right. Where are you at with Jesus in this new year? How close do you feel to him? How close, to what extent are you following him? And again, for some of us, we're just lost or we're just dry. And one thing that we're trying to do is, well, let's, let's look at what Jesus says to do. Let's look at his scriptures and his word and his story and what he invites us to be a part of. And so let's take a moment to just pause and to pray and to just be with the Lord and share with them where we're at when it comes to following him. And we're going to be talking about this a lot more these next five weeks. But let's take a moment first to just check our own hearts and invite the Spirit to really convict us of what God is calling us to do and how we're to follow him. So let's take a moment to pause and to be still. And I'll close this in prayer. So let's pray.